welcome to The Near Memo, a weekly conversation about search, social, and commerce. What happened, why it matters, and the implications for local. Welcome back, everybody, to Season 2, Episode 3 of The Near Memo. David, Mike, and Greg, we're all here to talk about search, social, commerce, the metaverse, Bitcoin, and everything else under the sun. Speaking of Bitcoin, my wife got an email from Visa today that said something to the effect, we're going to make it easy for you to use Coinbase to buy NFTs. And she said, what the fuck is Coinbase and what are NFTs? I, and so I spent 10 minutes explaining it to her. Which she I think we should turn every episode, a, a screenshot from every one of these episodes into an NFT and, and sell it. And that'll be our business model. There you go. <laughs> my wife know. won't buy it. <laughs> Or maybe not. Right. I was going to say, we, we, uh, I think, Mike, that email from Visa underscores the importance of the uh, need to segment your subscriber list pretty, pretty dramatically. <laughs> know your customer. Know your customer. Exactly. So uh, um, Marcus Spam. Marcus Spam. Okay. So um, we're going to lead off this week uh, with an, an item that I thought was really interesting. It, it got some coverage, but not a ton. It, for given, given how significant it could be, it, I didn't see that much coverage of it. Um, wrote about it on Wednesday. It's the, uh, it's the Democrats, which is, expands the Senate and the House. Uh, Anna Eshoo, Cory Booker, I forget the third sponsor, Cory Booker in the Senate, Anna Eshoo in the House, uh, introduced a bill, which I think has very little chance of making it into law, but nonetheless, it's pretty interesting that would ban all personal data use in advertising. Essentially, essentially bans um, targeted advertising uh, in, in, in a display context, the stuff that Facebook is doing. You couldn't, you know, there are protected categories, race, gender, religion, that you explicitly can't use any data to, to target your ads, but it, it doesn't allow any personal data to be used in that context. And, and perhaps even more significantly in a way, it doesn't allow data brokers, doesn't allow data to be sold for ad targeting purposes. So data brokers, there's a whole ecosystem of them, obviously, who sell data that then gets incorporated into campaigns or used to determine campaigns would not be permissible. It's, it's a pretty radical bill. And I think just is another manifestation of the anger, frustration, um, you know, desire to rein in these big tech companies, which uh, many people think are spying on us. And there was the earlier survey that I wrote about, I think last week from the Washington Post, where a majority, I, don't, I forget the percentage, a majority of Americans believe that tech companies are quote unquote spying on them. So sort of the surveillance capitalism idea. Again, I don't think it probably will make it into law but, um, you know, I'm surprised that the IAB didn't come out and others didn't come out decrying it and saying it's going to ruin everything if this if this happens, kill jobs, uh, destroy small Hurt small businesses. Right. Please write. Where's, please the, write where's the Connected Commerce Council on this one? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can predict that. <laughs> it's, it's the default, you know, ruin small businesses is the default, uh, harm small businesses is the default. Their reflexive position of these giant companies now. So, um, you know, what what does the world look like? I mean, interestingly, search doesn't get impacted by this, right? So, paid search uh, would just kind of chug along un, unscathed in this in this context. But Facebook and others 
on the display side, certainly social mm -hmm. media would be, you know, they'd have to resort to contextual advertising uh, effectively. So it would really radically change things if it were Which, to make it. I mean, theoretically, the world is shifting towards contextual advertising anyway, given the changes that Apple has made and the theoretical uh disappearance of the third party cookie, you know, in a couple of years, I think that the, the, the pendulum is swinging back towards contextual and away from, from data already, but this would radically accelerate that and, um, take it all the way to the line. So. I'm not sure I agree with that. I mean, I do think that contextual has, has, has sort of come back into focus and there's more sophisticated contextual advertising, but there's, you know, there's universal ID uh, there's there's a lot of efforts to replace the cookie going on. I, I, I'm not sure that unless people are compelled to abandon that sort of, um, you know, email being the, the sort of linchpin of the whole universal ID system, I, I'm not sure that people are going to give up, give up um, you know, audience-based, people-based targeting. Oh, I don't think, yeah, I don't think that advertisers will give that up. Um, I think it's just going to prove to be so much less effective than it is today that contextual will eventually supersede it. Well, I mean, it's sort of, it's sort of interesting um, in, in, in this context, Place IQ, which was really arguably the original company using location data to, uh, to, to indicate other things like purchase intent or brand affinity or consumer identification um, got finally got its exit after, after, um, many other companies in the space either merged or were acquired. And I asked Duncan McCall, who is the CEO, you know, did, did Apple's uh, privacy, you know, opt-in privacy moves, you know, accelerate this or trigger this or an easy, you know, he said, no, we were always more privacy compliant than others. And it, it sort of flushed out the bad companies, um, which he didn't name, but there are a couple of them that were sort of doing lazy things. Um, but they're they're now sort of sucked into a larger private equity backed data company. So um, you know, I, I mean, I think I think all this sort of regulatory action would be congressional action is sort of accelerating some of these deals as people sort of jockey for position. Great. Would location but, data in this bill would location data be considered uh, personal data that wouldn't be yes accessible? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, you couldn't use it. Well, no, that's not entirely true. I think that I think that they would allow. I think there's some parameters around it. They would allow location, um, you know, because arguably Google couldn't use locate. I mean, you know, you get into this question about what is, you know, is it marketing? Is it advertising? Um, because there are ads in the local pack. I mean, it gets sort of murky. Um, you could use location sort of broadly defined. You couldn't use precise location. You could use mm -hmm. broad location. So presumably at the city level or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I, again, I don't think this is going to make it in its current form into law that would be signed. So we'll, we'll see. But it's just it's there's just a lot going on legislatively. Some of this stuff will get out. We'll see what we'll see what happens. But my on, understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a, it was written in such a way to apply primarily to the very the, the biggest companies is that correct it's, i mean would it apply, apply to at&t and verizon That's yeah correct. i mean it's really it's really designed like all these all these things to to restrain the bigger companies from perceived abuses um it, it i believe small businesses would were explicitly ex exempted but what about at&t and verizon where the abuses occur on such a regular level but nobody <laughs> talks about it? 
I, I, oh, yeah, I mean, pre presumably it doesn't name companies, it doesn't name names in the bill. So presumably, you know, you'd, you'd always get into a litigation scenario where, you know, the courts would ultimately be the arbiters of, of, of the application of this, but presumably it would impact them as well, equally. But let's, let's, let's move on because um, time is uh, fleeting. Um, and uh, David, you know, speaking of small businesses, there was a Visita or Visita, depending on how you want to pronounce it, survey that came out, I think it was last week it originally came out, but I didn't get to it uh, until this week, that was kind of the state of the union for like a lot of these things. What are small businesses doing? What have they adopted? What have they not adopted? You know, the, the, the survey showed that COVID was a driver of uh, technology adoption, SaaS tools adoption. So what, what did you find interesting about yeah, that? Yeah, well, there were a few things that were interesting. The first was just the 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 audience that they reached with uh, the survey. And I gather it must be a relatively uh, solid reflection of Vesita's own customer base, but they had, you know, something like, um, you know, 20,000 uh, respondents of whom 17,000 were businesses that had been around between one and five years. Um, so a lot of businesses, presumably in that one to five year category who began during the pandemic or at the very sort of er the early part of 2020, um, which I just, I, I mean, kudos to them for reaching a fairly difficult uh, segment to, to hit. So I thought that was that was the first thing that really um, sort of jumped out at me. Um, I think that the, 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 the overall takeaway was that, you know, SaaS adoption is increasing uh, dramatically, which I think has been echoed in pretty much every survey that's come out um, since COVID. Uh, Vesita's like big headline stat was 96% of these respondents had implemented uh, new tools in the past year. Um, interestingly, the, the number of tools that businesses were using, I thought was fairly small. 60% um, said they were only using one to three different tools to run their business, which I find a little bit hard to believe, um, but that should, that should provide some... Well, um, Go ahead, Greg. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't mean to interrupt you, but um, you know that is that like Gmail, Google Workspace, and and uh, Office 365. You know, do those, do those right. qualify? That's a good question. So, I mean, that's, that's what I was going to say. I, I find that hard to believe, but the but directionally that should provide some um, you know encouragement for the thrives of the world and um, even increasingly the Shopify's, the Squarespace's, the Squares where. Um, you know, they're providing everything in, in an all-in-one package. We, we've heard that as the sort of the ultimate goal for a lot of these companies for years in, in terms of businesses only want to work 20 with years. one. 20 years. Uh, businesses only want to work with one vendor. This would seem to suggest that that's already happening. Um, again, I'm a little bit skeptical of that finding. It sort of depends on how they define uh, these tools for sure. Um, the other really, there were two other really interesting points. Um, Again, keep in mind, this is businesses that have been around one to five years overwhelmingly in terms of who's answering this. But uh, TikTok was almost as used as Twitter, um, just a couple percentage points behind, um, and was catching up to Facebook and Instagram in terms of usage. And Greg, you you highlighted a, a story, uh, I think it was two or three newsletters ago, um, kind of illustrating the same thing, that a lot of businesses during the pandemic have been really innovative on TikTok in that um, TikTok sees small businesses as a really 
uh, as a really viable segment for them um, in terms of, you know, building advertising and, and promotional uh, awareness products. So I think that that's, you know, it, as you said, uh, sort of in the green room before, before the show, it, this kind of study makes it a little bit harder for an antitrust move uh, against Facebook if there is a nascent social media player, you know, in addition to Twitter, that's capturing some significant um, market share. So I think that that was, that was definitely an interesting finding for me. Um, and then the last one was, was uh, sort of they asked about the popularity of communication tools for small businesses to their customers um, during the pandemic. And email was preferred basically three to one uh, over texting. Um, so they, the question was, what is the best way you found to communicate with your clients? Emails were 32 percent um, and texts were 10 and a half percent. So that's a really interesting finding, um, you know, kind of cuts again. I mean, I was as a longtime email guy, I, of course, was sort of happy to see that. But um, it cuts against the grain of a lot of what we've been hearing about, oh, texting is preferred and blah, 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 blah. I think overwhelmingly, the, the big takeaway there would be. Okay, email's only a third, right? And so you really need to adopt a sort of more omni-channel um, strategy if right. you're a business, which speaks to the value of you know not to not to insert an unpaid plug, but um, you know Aaron Wykey from Leadferno uh, has been on this bandwagon for quite a while that you you have to meet your customer kind of where they are, um, and so even if your preferred channel as a business is email, that might not be your customers preferred channel. They might want to DM you on Instagram or GMB or text you or whatever. And so you really need a, a more comprehensive message messaging strategy than just email. But the tools are just now coming up that integrate Messenger and SMS and Google My Business like Leadferno is trying to do so that a small business can actually handle that as an input, right? You can't really handle five different messaging right. platforms. That would be that would be and more than also, th- more than the one to three tools that most businesses are using. So <laughs> exactly. And the other the um, the other side of it too is I think it depends on where the client is in the funnel, right? In terms of new incomings, uh, I just did an experiment. Somebody was getting too many bad phone calls. So we I mean they were getting a lot of phone calls, but too many of them were unqualified and not good candidates. And so we went to texting and form fill. As the two things, we de-escalated the big phone number in the upper right to a little phone number in the bottom left and switched to uh, texting, uh, well, Leadferno, actually, and Formfill. And their lead quality has jumped dramatically. Hmm. And their calls dropped by 35%, but the bulk of the calls are now coming from geolocated pre-qualified leads via GMB. So in that sense... They are properly qualified because they're calling from in market, mm-hmm. which is what the problem was. They were getting too many national calls. And so, which is interesting that, you know, they needed to sort of reduce the incomings to get, be able to better focus on the important ones that were coming in. And they chose forms and text to do that. And, you know, well, I would, I would, I would say, um, you know, the, who knows if this is the verbatim question that the survey included, but the, the, the question that you mentioned, David, was since the pandemic, what's the best BEST way you found to communicate with your clients? Now, I think best is a, I spell it out just to emphasize the word best, not because people didn't understand the word, but it's it, that may be more a reflection of what you, you, you suggested, that this is the, the business's comfort right. zone yeah. and not necessarily what the customer wants. And it, or, or best could be most um, 
you know, highest efficacy from a right standpoint, but yeah. we don't, we don't know, you know, that's, that's or it might be best from a follow-up standpoint as once already a customer, right? We don't know where it is in the, in the funnel. Yep. Right. And I think, I think that, um, I think that also if, 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 you know, if, if they were to have done this in a focus group context where you could follow up, I think what we would see is if you introduce the idea of Google, my business and office 365 and, you know, other things that people use every day and perhaps don't think of as SaaS tools, we'd probably see a much broad, you know, we'd see a bigger number than the one to three. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then sort of finally to the elusive all in one platform. I mean, there's some folks that are out there that have been pitching. Zoho has been pitching that for a long, long time, a decade, or, or maybe even, maybe even more than that. But I think that there's resistance to an all in one platform, even though people say they want it, you know, Oh, I'd rather deal with a single integrated tool set than lots of different pieces. Nobody has really done it. Nobody's done one that where the tools are all sort of equally refined and effective. But I, and I also think people, people resist because there are these sort of point solutions that are beloved and adopted and, you know, best of breed. And so it's, there's a kind of a, a weird tension in that, you know, people like the idea, but I, they're not doing it, even though these things, you know, Vendasta, that's part of Vendasta's pitch, mm -hmm. you know, all these sort of directory publishers and, and, quasi agencies that have been reselling Google AdWords have had, you know, multiple solutions that they've sort of rolled up under some interface and they've been pitching that for years and it's, you know, it's been problematic. Thing. Yep. And so now we turn to Mike Blumenthal for the most exciting session or <laughs> uh, segment of this uh, season two, episode three broadcast. Well, I don't know if it's the most exciting, but it is the most uplifting or positive, which is not my normal style. I like to pick the, uh, the Debbie Downer stories, uh, uh of the week, but uh, big tech <laughs> surveillance state. Yeah. Right. So this one was from Mike Boland at street fight. How will the meta birth materialize? And let's do you spell that with the T what's that? Do you spell that with the T meta birth? Verth, V-E-A-R-T-H, V-E-A-R-T-H. So let's hope that that name does not take on any permanence. <laughs> it's a terrible name, hard to pronounce. And um, and I, although I suppose it does reflect some of the dystopian possibilities. But what was interesting about the article was not so much about the future and the sort of the clickbait uh, email lead-in that they use about the future, but really what Niantic is doing now uh, one, they have developed this Lightship platform, which uh, unlocks the real-world metaverse as a development environment for others to use, which I think has, offers a lot of possibility over the next two to three years in terms of extracting value from real-world interactions through uh, something, through, through your phone. It's, it's very and, smart. And, it's very smart for those guys right. to do that. Right. And this is Niantic Labs, right, from, from John Hankey, the founder of Google or one of the original right. creators of Google Maps uh, and Google Earth. Right. So building this SDK, you know, a software development kit for geolocal AR experiences is really interesting to me. They also have the sponsorship platform that allows businesses to buy positioning as in-point, in-game waypoints uh, so that they can create Pokemon hatches at their location. And what was interesting was that 73% of players deviate from regular walking routes sometimes to sponsor locations to achieve in-game milestones. 84% interact with commercial locations and 58% transact. And the 
they did some real world, they mentioned some real world stats from SK Telecom, uh, which is in Taiwan. They saw 10.8% boost in loyalty signups during schedule raids of around Pokemon releases at their locations. And 7-Eleven saw a 10.5% revenue lift from in-game raids. It stimulated around thousands of locations in Taiwan and Mexico and other regions. So what was interesting about this was mostly it's grounding in what's real now and what's happening. And I think Niantic is interesting because they've taken the base map layer, which is really designed around roads, of whether you use Apple's or Google's, and added to it this whole layer of geometry that's very that's based on where people go and what they see. And in that have created a technology which seems less dystopian than Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse. Although I suppose one could argue that gamifying life might be equally dystopian in the end. But it was interesting because it's what's happening today. So, so the, the the study took place in Taiwan. So SK Telecom is uh, South Korea, I think. But this, you're saying the study was in Taiwan? Yes, the the cheap the loyalty boost was in Taiwan. Yeah. So, and these were all sort of in the context of the Pokemon Go game, or the sponsorship or, within the game. Yeah. Yes, uh, and releasing uh, Pokemon characters at the location so that they had to come to the location to gain right. a character and get game points. Well it's it's it is fascinating what they've been what they've done with location. I mean Hanky obviously is is his history is in mapping and location and and the the early games that they created Ingress uh before Pokemon Go and then the, I forget I forget there was a there was a, a a more informational uh it wasn't a game per se it was like Using AR and the real world, it was an informational thing um, that they created initially before that. So he's 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 very very steeped in all of this, obviously. And I think that it's it's a pretty interesting uh, platform that will get adoption. The question, and this is cer- certainly much more uh, immediate and potentially mainstream than than the than the you know totally immersive VR metaverse or metaverse, I should say. Um, <laughs> And but but you know Snap we talked earlier about Snap right so Snap has has is the most mainstream example of of AR that's out there because people are using the filters and um, you know there are companies using using Snap to create an AR layer on top of some some you know real world thing object and I think that that's that's pretty interesting and so it's it's kind of incremental and we'll see it become pretty mainstream. And it'll be used as a marketing tool, but it's not the the total immersion product that most people are thinking about, like the Activision Blizzard uh, acquisition by Microsoft, the seventy billion dollar or seventy five billion or whatever the number was dollar act- a- acquisition. You know, people are placing placing big bets on this complete immersion uh, kind of experience, and I think the AR uh, version that you described has more more. Uh, more realistic opportunity in the, both will coexist, but AR is going to be more mainstream, I think. Right. And AR is more relevant and local from my point of view. I mean, I think that there's other, I mean, it just, it, it lends itself to real world interactions <clears throat> at a local level. Well, early on, that... 
Sorry, go ahead, Mike. That the metaverse doesn't, right? It's like yeah. I have very little interest of going to a metaverse cocktail party and interacting <laughs> with metaverse characters and some ballroom. This is not, you know, this isn't going to happen. Well, there's there's that's also the, like... That's the second life model, right? I mean... Yeah, to, so there's also the second yeah. life... There's, you know, so so I was... Years ago, I worked at um, Tech TV, and we would do these Friday afternoon live chat things and everybody had an avatar and it was just on the computer, you know, and everybody would come into some virtual room that had a background and there were all these sort of floating little avatars and we would text and, you know, there was, there was, I think there was a a, a voice component where the moderator and speakers had, you know, had some voice, but uh, there's that model too, where you're. And where, then there's the model where we just change out our background so it looks like we're at the Oregon beach, but we're really in downtown. Green one Portland. of us, one of us truly is at the Oregon beach, and it's not me. <laughs> but, it isn't me. I mean, I think I think um, the, the, we we didn't talk about the about the meta patent. Uh, I you know the patent filings that Google, that um, Facebook slash Meta has has uh, be, became uh, public and and what that signifies for um, for advertising in the metaverse I mean I think that's pretty interesting as well do you want to say anything about that for- well, I thought we were just, trying to stay it, away from I mean, the dystopian it, big tech it, surveillance it, topic too late. exactly <laughs> I brought it the up. upshot of it was that they would follow your eyes to determine what you were looking at in the metaverse to determine the advertising they would show you so right if we don't if we don't want to end on a downer we can't talk about that in too much depth yeah I think it's pretty interesting though and I think that um, you know that what we talked about at the beginning I mean if these if these if, if these privacy rules you know, it become more strict and more prevalent, that, that will really ch- challenge those kinds of business models, I think. But, well, it's contextual within the metaverse, though. Maybe it's a contextual advertising. Well, is your, is your, are your eye movements personal data? <laughs> Philosophical question. One, one would hope so. One would hope that that is very personal. So. Well, so, so early on, you may or may not remember Yelp and... Um, uh, um, Couple other folks, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on who else did did sort of AR style overlays. Yelp had a thing called Monocle, where you could point right. the camera at a restaurant mm-hmm. down the street, and you could see the Yelp score. And I think um, uh, I think Open Table did something also along mm. those lines with with AR. And they were just very awkward experiences, and not very helpful. But now, you know, I think it is getting to the point where you can, and Google Lens envisions this, where you can sort of hold the camera. Yeah at a place and get information about the place. And I think that could be quite useful um, in certain circumstances, you know? So I think that the AR scenario could be, could be helpful. Um, but the, the Pokemon Go business, uh, even though there's a lot of money there, I think is not a mainstream use mm-hmm. case. Right, but the, the SDK, the software development kit that allows their platform to be developed yes. into a broad yes. range of tools, offers, given their example and their use, offers a potential future pathway to get there. And that's interesting. Absolutely. So on on a kind of middle brow note of interesting, <laughs> I think uh, we've run out of time today. Uh, we always strive to end on an optimistic note, despite all the, the uh, dystopian forces swirling around us. So everybody uh, have a good weekend, have a good week, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter and we'll see you next time. 
Thanks for joining David, Mike, and Greg. To stay on top of the latest developments in local, subscribe to our newsletter at nearmedia.co. We'll see you next week.